Well, good morning, and uh, once again, thank you to all who have been continuing to pray and uh, care for me in these recent weeks as we're battling to get strength back. Uh, please keep that prayer going, even as we uh, hear God's word uh, this this morning. Uh, I do I do want to mention uh, briefly two other quick announcements that are actually related to each other. Um, as a church, we are developing meaningful, ongoing. Uh, discipleship ministries and programs for men and women uh, in the church that will go along with what already exists for our young people in the church. So a men's ministry, a women's ministry, and just ongoing mentoring and faith-building relationships that we want to have within the church. And uh, those are being unfolded and unveiled uh, these uh, weeks and will continue to be, uh, will continue to update you on the, the developments there. Uh, but along with that is kind of two very special events uh, for the men and women. Uh, want to make you aware again, January 28th and 9th, men, this is for you. January 28th and 29th, a men's retreat at our Sending Church, Covenant Fellowship Church. Our friend Brian Davis is the speaker uh, for that event. If you've ever heard Brian preach, you know he is a powerful man of God. And I look forward to this. Uh, the, the, the theme for the event is Rise Up. So men, uh, set those days aside. Actually, go to the Covenant Fellowship, covfell.org, uh, and register there uh, and plan to be out in force. Let's have about, I don't know, 50 of us show up for that. I see a hand. And it's Okay, so you heard that, $35 till the 25th of this month, and then $45. And then secondly, for the women, so that we do not leave them out, on Saturday, March the 12th, uh, our sister Blair Lynn is going to come and uh, give a morning of ministry to the women in our church. Blair is the wife of our brother Shai, who has preached here, a faithful brother in the Lord, has preached here before. So she's going to come and serve our women. And both of these, while they're kind of one-time events, are kind of also catalyst events uh, to get us all engaged in men or women's discipleship as we move forward together. If you're newer to our church, uh, this is an expression of our commitment to make sure that as believers we are growing in the faith and that we are following Christ. And so uh, we don't want to just be Sunday uh, church people. We want to be those who day after day after day are walking in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So for men, for women, for young people, and for children as they were just dismissed the promised kingdom, this is what it's all about. So, with all that in mind, let's seek to grow in our relationship with Christ by turning in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, to the text that we started in last week, and God willing and enabling, uh, we will complete here today. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 11. The Apostle Paul writing to the Philippian church. So, 
If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, may it be that you will indeed be glorified Uh, As we open your word together here, may your spirit make Christ glorious in our eyes. May the spirit make you, our Father, wonderful in our eyes. Be with us, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I said last week that this passage of Scripture is an essential Christianity passage. If you want to get to the very essence, the very heart of the Christian faith, it is to passages such as these that you must turn. These passages deal with the heart of it all. The heart of the Christian faith is not the Ten Commandments. The heart of the Christian faith is not a bunch of rules or ceremonies or rituals. The heart of the Christian faith is not a church building or stained glass or any such thing. The heart of the faith is this, that he who was in the form of God didn't grasp onto his equality with God, but emptied himself for us. So that through his self-emptying, we might be saved and rescued. This is, this is biblical, historic, transcendent Christian faith. The eternal God, because of his great love, became one of us to suffer unspeakable humiliation in order to redeem those who deserve humiliation. And then was restored to His original majesty and glory over all things, taking with Him all those who love Him. That is the Christian faith. Christmas, which is to say Christianity rightly seen, is the greatest rescue ever made. It is the most sublime love ever expressed. It is the most perfect and profound mercy ever 
given. It is the most transcendent wonder ever beheld. All brought to pass through the deepest humiliations ever endured by anyone. And through the highest exaltation ever achieved by anyone. Last week we looked, as we set up this text, we looked at our Lord's pre-incarnate glory. Remember that? Those who were here, we, we talked about how Isaiah was in the temple one day and he, in a room that was about the same size as this room and he had a vision of the glory of the Lord. And John in his apostle tells us that the glory Isaiah saw was the glory of Christ Himself. The pre-incarnate, pre-Christmas Son of God was sitting on a throne high and lifted up and there were seraphim and angels all around him. And remember from last week, they had, they had these wings. With two they flew and with two they covered their eyes because even the angels can't gaze at the glory of the pre-incarnate Son of God without having to have some kind of sunglasses on. He is that wondrous. He is that amazing. He is the eternal Son of God who has always dwelt in the Father's side. He has always dwelt on the throne of heaven. Before anything was made, the Father and the Son and the Spirit enjoyed eternal transcendent glory. But in Christmas... This one who in his pre-incarnate glory was too blazingly bright to behold, that one became one of us. And there was a descent into humiliation that that Son of God experienced for us that I want us to consider together today. That descent was a three-step descent into sorrows and humiliation that entailed a heart attitude, a humble addition, and a hellish sacrifice. Step one, a heart attitude. Notice verses five and six. Keep your Bibles open. Have this mind, this attitude among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This was the heart attitude of the eternal Son of God. He did not count. He did not think. He did not reckon or value His shared equal glory and majesty with the Father as something to be grasped. He opened his hands and let it go. He renounced his own glory. How good are you at doing that? How good am I at doing that? We humans, all of us humans, no matter who we are, no matter how old or young we are, we grasp for glory. We hang on to honor. We crave esteem. And when we get it, we don't want to let go of it. But the eternal Son of God looked at that glory and He said, I'm willing to give it up. 
Even though he was the only one who had the right to keep the glory, he was willing to let go of the glory. He did not cling to, he did not hold tightly to his full recognition as God's equal. This was the first step downward in his humiliation. A conscious forsaking, a voluntary, a voluntary renouncing of his glory and majesty and the visible magnificence that he had as a co-equal with the Father. He was willing to let it go. Now, from there we see the second step downward in his humiliation. A humbling addition. A humbling addition. Look at verses 6 and 7. He, though, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born or made in the likeness of men. I'm calling this a humbling addition. Follow me closely here. Here, He emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He poured himself empty. It doesn't mean he stopped being God. He was God all the way through all of this. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. Somebody has called this subtraction by addition. He was the eternal God, the Son of God, but He actually subtracted from His own glory by adding something to His existence, and that was humanity. He became one of us, and in becoming something more than He was, in a sense, He became humbler and less than He was. He emptied himself. Think of, think of it like this. Imagine, well, first of all, just, I, I don't know if you're like me, when, when I watch Christmas advertisements and I see these, where these really fancy cars, you know, husband buys a real fancy car for his wife and just gets a big red bow on it and I... I can't relate to that. You know, I, I buy my wife a little matchbox car. You know, it's just, you know, Galen and I have been talking for, for years about, you know, our last car is going to be a, a red BMW convertible. You know, that's, uh, but that's only in our dreams. I, there, there's no, there, I, I watch these advertisements. Is it possible that this actually happens in the real world? Uh, not in the world I live in, but imagine that it did. And imagine that Galen this year is extra generous to me and she, she buys this brand new car. Notice I said she's generous to me, not me to her. She buys this car and it is the, the latest model and it has all the gadgets and it is high tech and it's all of this and it's beautiful and it's magnificent and it's luxurious. It is all, has all of that glory. And then imagine that I take a bucket full of mud and I throw it on that car. By adding, I have subtracted. 
By it taking on mud, it has become a little bit less than it was before. Or its glory, better put than what I just said, its glory has now been, re- uh, has now been hidden. Its glory is not so visible anymore. Or taking a car like that and slapping some cheap old bumper sticker on it. By adding, we subtract. The eternal Son of God had everything. Glory upon glory upon glory upon glory. But then the day came. The day came, and I was thinking about just as we were singing this earlier, what must it have been like for the angels and for all the saints who have gone on before us, who, who died before the coming of Christ. And when they got to God's presence, God said, the Savior is going to go. My Son is going is to... The day is going to come. The day is going to come when He's going to be born of a virgin. And can you imagine the scene in heaven when the day came? And God said to all the angels and said to all those who have gone on before, the day has arrived. Now watch. Watch. And he sent forth his son. And he who was in the glory of God had the mud and the grime of humanity thrown on to him. But not, and this is where the car illustration breaks down. You can wash that car. <laughs> Jesus took on humanity not just for 33 years here on earth, but He now exists in perfected humanity in heaven. God and man in one person. Oh, but in those 33 years, if you had seen Jesus or if He had walked into this place this morning, you wouldn't have recognized Him as God. He would have just looked like an ordinary man. Because he was willing to humble himself by subtraction, by becoming one of us. But dear ones, it gets more intensely wonderful and humbling as we move on. For he had not just a heart attitude. I don't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Not just a humbling addition to His glory. He adds humanity. But now third, a hellish sacrifice. A hellish sacrifice. Look at verse 8. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. The the Son of God became an obedient servant to the Father. He who was the Father's equal was willing to play the role of an obedient slave. He who had never ever had to obey any commandments from anyone now postured himself to obey his Father's voice. He who commanded into existence everything that exists. 
placed Himself under the will of the Father for the sake of all that He had made. Now notice the extent of His obedience. Verse 8. He became obedient to the point of death. That is, the, the meaning of those words, up to and including death. Which means that all during His life, He obeyed God the Father. That was, as he put it on one occasion, that was his meat and his drink was to do the Father's will. He always obeyed the Father. He did this to the point of up to and including death, which means, my friends, that the death of Jesus, the baby of Bethlehem, the death of Jesus was not an accident. It was not an afterthought. It was an act of obedience by the Son to the Father. Not because the Son forced, or the Father forced it or coerced it, but the Son voluntarily surrendered Himself to the Father's will for our sakes. This is not as some who just are ignorant of the Gospel. Some have said this is some kind of cosmic child abuse where the Father is beating on the Son and the Son doesn't want to die. No, the Son was willing to die. The Son volunteered to die. I love my church. I love my chosen. I love my bride. And I will do anything for them. And He became obedient to the Father to the point of death. And now, Friends, there's one last phrase. One last phrase we have to notice. He was obedient to the Father even, even to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And we have to understand why Paul says this. Usually when we think of death on a cross, we, we think of it in terms of its agony and we think of it in terms of its physical pain and suffering. And certainly that is involved, but that's not why Paul says that here. He's not just saying Jesus was willing to die even a very painful death on a cross, no. It matters that He died on a cross. The Scriptures make it plain time and again that our Redeemer had to die in public, open shame. He had to die on a cross. He didn't die of cancer in a hospital room. He didn't die having been assaulted in a back alley. He died on a cross. He died on a tree. Time and again in Scripture, attention is called not just to the fact that Jesus died, but what He died on. Acts chapter 5, verse 30, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree. 
1 Peter 2, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. John 3 and verse 14, Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, God put forward or publicly displayed Christ Jesus as the atonement by His blood to be received by faith. Now, why this emphasis on the tree? The public spectacle. The reason for this is because the Scriptures teach cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In other words, when there is somebody who has been sentenced to die and they are crucified, there is a, not just a death happening, but there is a curse being applied. See, Jesus didn't just die. He died under the curse of God. Remember the commandment in Genesis chapter 2. On the day you eat of this, you will surely die. Remember Romans chapter 6. The wages of sin is death. You see, there's a, there is a sentence that is pronounced over sinners. That means there's a sentence that was pronounced over you and me. And there was a, a curse, a punishment from God that our sins deserve. And Jesus came into the world not just to die for us. He came into the world to take that curse, to take that punishment on Himself. He was willing not just to die, He was willing to die the death of a cross under the curse of God. So it's significant, as we've indicated before, it's significant that there was a crown of thorns on His head. For thorns are an expression of and result of sin entering into the world and the curse of God upon the world. For as the curse is found, right, we sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come so that He might take that curse away. He is the curse bearer. The sin bearer. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, we just haven't even begun to understand Christmas until we understand that that little baby was born to die. And I know that to our current world, that sounds almost barbaric. That God needs a sacrifice to forgive our sins. The only reason that sounds barbaric and outlandish is because we don't know the depth of our own sin and the holiness of God. God is of purer eyes, Habakkuk said, to even behold iniquity. God is holy, holy, holy. In all His being, in all His thoughts, and He is just and He is righteous. And in that holiness, He hates sin and must punish sin. 
or else he ceases to be holy. But he loves us. He loves us. This was, this was the dilemma that God had, if I can use that term. I don't think God ever has a dilemma, but this was, this was what God is what God had to design by way of a plan. You see, all he, we are all sinners deserving of the wrath of God and deserving of the judgment of God. But God loves us all. And He doesn't want to pour out His wrath and His judgment upon us. So what does He do? His holiness depend, demands justice. His love cries for mercy. So what does He do? He devises a plan. The Father and the Son and the Spirit devise a plan by which through the Son, the punishment for our sin would be taken away so that justice could be satisfied, holiness could be satisfied, and so that love could be satisfied. Because if He gave us what we deserved, there would be nothing left of us. But He doesn't give us what we deserve. Because somebody else took what we deserved. And so Jesus, the baby of Bethlehem, grew up a perfect man in a perfect sacrifice. Jesus took what we deserved so that we could get what He deserves. Oh, what child is this? What child is this? He was willing to step down off the throne to lie humbly in a manger. He was willing to no longer hear the angel's song and to hear instead the scorn and the rage of man. He was willing to hear a mocking crowd instead of a worshiping choir. He was willing to hide that He was the Lord of hosts whose glory filled the earth so that He could become a man of sorrows for our sakes. He was willing to die under the wrath and judgment of God that was due to our sins. He was willing, even though He had always dwelt in the Father's side, to now hang under the Father's wrath. He was willing, though He had been eternally blessed of the Father, to hang on the cross infinitely cursed of God. He was willing to do all of that for you and for me. One, one man has put this so wonderfully. He said, sin is man substituting himself for God. Salvation is God substituting himself for man. Just think about that. Be like Mary. Treasure that in your heart and ponder it. Sin is me substituting myself for God. Me making me God. Sin is me substituting myself for God. Salvation is God substituting Himself for me. For you. Joy to the world. <laughs> the Lord is come. Story doesn't end here, does it? No. You've got to at least read in this context verses 8 through 11. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, in light of this, this three-step descent into humiliation, in light of his willingness to humble himself and become obedient to the point of an accursed death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and has bestowed on Him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Yes. Yes. There was glory. There was shame. And then there is glory. That is what this is about. To Him be the glory. Friends, there, there is in this a message to believe. If you have never, ever believed in Jesus, we're offering you the most wonderful person in the world. And we, we are proclaiming to you uh, a gospel. Good news. Good news. The best of all news. There's forgiveness. And there's reconciliation with God. There's a message to believe. Don't, you know, the reality is the day, the day is coming when everyone will believe it. And every tongue will confess it. And every knee will bow. The choice you have is whether you do that now and bow before Him as your Savior. Or whether you are forced to do that later and bow before Him as your judge. Oh, my friend, do it now. Do it now. His arms are open wide. This is a message to believe. This is a marvel to ponder. What wondrous love is this? This is a mindset to imitate. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The whole point of this text is to motivate us to be like Jesus. He did not cling to His glory, but utterly renounced His own rights, His own glory, His own honor to pour out His life for others. And this, my friends, is the true Christmas spirit. This is the true Christmas spirit. Not jolly songs. but it's realizing that the One who is glorious in all His being gave it all up for our sakes. And Paul says, and our Lord says, go and do likewise for each other. That is indeed a mindset to imitate. And can I say as well that it is a mission to join. Go tell it on the mountain. (laughs) This is not something to be kept a secret. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Let's pray.
Father, our hearts are astonished. Astonished at who you are and who your Son is and what he has done for us. I pray for a, the Spirit, your Holy Spirit, to come upon us all. To move us to treasure these things. And to ponder them in our hearts. So that Jesus will be loved and lifted up by us all. In his name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me? And I am eager for us to respond. Without musicians, we're going to do this. Uh, sing. You will know the words. Uh, let's sing together. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ. The Lord will give you all the glory. Will give you all the glory. Will give you all the glory. Christ the Lord. For you alone are worthy. For you alone are worthy. For you alone are worthy. Christ the And now, may the blessing of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon each of you and all of you and upon those you love, so that this week will be uniquely, uncommonly joyful. May the Lord keep you safe in your travels. Keep you well in body and in spirit. And may the Lord give you moments to treasure and to ponder. Until we meet again, may the Lord be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. God be with you. <laughs>